Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets, where a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Hey, she's back! So uh, you're lucky you're actually sitting in that seat. I was going to replace you with Lucy. And I heard that she was a big hit. Yes, you haven't listened to that episode yet, but you need to. have because- one of these days. <laughs> so, uh, yes, you were gone for an unexpectedly long time. Just to recap for everyone, Melanie and our two of our daughters, Isabella and Sophia, went down to Austin, Texas, a little more than a week ago now. For oh. my brother's baby shower. My brother's brother. wife's baby shower. Yeah. Well, it's his baby shower, too. It's his baby. Sure. It's, <laughs> these days, you have to specify. So, <laughs> so um, it was only supposed to be a four-day trip. And then a couple days in, Sophie got sick. Basically, we went to the baby shower, and she came home, and she went upstairs and hid in her room for a bit to decompress, and came back down, and she was shivering. And running a fever and looked like yeah. she was very sick. Now, it wasn't COVID. You took a, a COVID test and it was negative. Um, but she did get a spike a temp of 104. It took a while to figure it out. But eventually, process of elimination, I figured out that it was a sinus infection. Back, yeah. back in September, we all got sick. Mm-hmm. Including Sophie. And I I took her to the urgent care and the doctor said they didn't think that she had pneumonia or bronchitis or anything, but she might have a sinus infection. And they gave me a prescription of antibiotics in case she didn't get better. But she did seem to get better. At least she didn't seem to get any worse. And I kind of forgot about it. And in the past couple of months, she sort of had a lot more sniffles and... Not, but not nothing bad. Like she never ran a fever or anything like that. But I think that flying just pushed her over the edge from into mild sinus, possibly on the edge of infection to full blown sinus infection. Okay. And so we had to get the. So uh, I had the prescription for antibiotics and I decided to just transfer the prescription to a pharmacy in Austin and feed her antibiotics and see if it got better. If not, I was going to take her to urgent care there. But I just thought since we already had antibiotics and it was a very, very likely scenario, I would just go for it. The thing is, is, but, you know, she had to be fever free for 24 hours. And so to fly. Yeah. So we had to first we we push back your return flight from Tuesday to Thursday. Thursday and then Wednesday rolled around and she still wasn't better and you were just getting her the amoxicillin then. So we rescheduled for Saturday and crossed our fingers because any later than the Saturday before Christmas and we were, we were caught in trouble. Yeah. I was wondering even if you could get tickets because we had originally thought, well, what about Monday? But it's like, mm, let's not do that. Let's see if we can make Saturday. Which turned out better because it was a direct flight. Yeah, we we ended up actually getting, right, a direct flight, uh, which was better than our original flight. Southwest bus in the skies, stopping at every airport on the way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it worked out okay. She she did not have a super pleasant flight. Like, her ears got stopped up again, but she still has not run a fever since I started giving her the amoxicillin. So That's good. Um. We will. Yeah. So, but in any case, how was the baby shower? <laughs> the baby shower was awesome. They had it outside. Because uh, Texas. Because it's Texas in a park. Also because germs. Um, sure. And it was lovely. Um, my sister-in-law, Amber, 
is a professional chef. She she's a private chef and she cooks for people. So it's not surprising that the spread of food was awesome. Yeah, this um, I'm turning green with envy, folks. <laughs> this, uh, this whole episode I'm gonna be. There was green her with envy. there was her grandmother's potato salad and there was hummus and vegetables and salsas and dips and sausages and cookies and cakes and by the way, you brought me a gift. I did. Uh Amber's grandfather makes sausage. Professionally. Like he has a company. Yeah. So I I got some sausages. He was handing them out for free. <laughs> Just like here, anyone want some sausages? I brought a whole cooler. Here, take some sausages. Here, take two. <laughs> and telling us that this was his grandparents' recipe. They came from Sicily. Uh they originally came in through New Orleans and then moved from New Orleans to Houston. And uh yeah. Nice. So there are hot Italian sausages. They, he also makes mild, but I figured I'd get the hot. Thank you for your Sicilian husband. Nice. So, and yeah. then um, what else did you do while you were there? What other visiting type things? Uh, let's see. Uh, we we went to County Line, which is my favorite barbecue place. Oh, uh, I've, I've right, never going there once. It's yeah. right on the creek, uh, Bull Creek, and... They have the best food. Oh, uh, so on the pictures were killing me. <laughs> so on Saturday, we met my brother Tim and his wife Amber there. Um, my sister was also visiting from Dallas, and my mom went with us. My dad skipped out because uh, he has a hard time with his, with his hearing aids and his post stroke aphasia. He really just can't follow conversations in loud restaurants, and so he generally skips the restaurants and any place where there's crowds. Um, right. But yeah, we, uh, that was nice. And then, well, so Sophie got sick Sunday night. And after that, we didn't really do much, um, with her. Uh, we, we drove around town a few times. We stopped and got ice cream at Amy's ice cream. And, um, Bella and I went thrift store shopping and we went to, um, my favorite toy store, which is Toy Joy. Which has an amazing selection of toys. Mm. Um, a lot of like weird, offbeat, unique, handcrafted stuff, import stuff from Europe and other places. Like it's not your normal Toys R Us sort of toy store. Right. Um, so that was fun. And uh, oh, I met my friend um, and blogger uh, Emily Cook for coffee one day. That was fun. Cool. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was just, it was a nice trip. We mostly just hung around my house. I played Scrabble with my mom and oh, watched my dad take pot shots at squirrels with his air rifle in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, normal stuff. Country boy living in the city. So I was, I, I, at one point, I expected him to try to hand the rifle over to Isabella. Um, <laughs> Because she was telling him that she had done a rifle merit badge in Scouts. And he's like, oh, so you know how to shoot this? And she says, yeah. And he, I, he didn't hand it to her, but um, it looked like he might. Yeah. If Anthony were there, he would have taken it. He would have. Yes. So uh, for us, um, you know, it was more the same as what I talked about last time. The, uh, you know, we, it was weird single parenting for a week. And I was just saying before we started recording, the last time I spent an extended period of time with you away and me single parenting uh, was like 10 years ago when you went to a wedding and was it the Houston wedding? No, it was my my friend Richard's wedding in Florida. Richard's wedding. So like 10 years ago. With baby Anthony. Baby Anthony, right. Oh, Houston was with Bella. That's right. But baby Anthony, yes. And so I was, so at the time it would have been Ben and Bella and and Sophie as toddlers, which that would have been harder, I think. That was probably harder. But that was just a weekend. Um, So... The big thing was being the only adult that they could go to every time they needed something. <laughs> I mean, they were mostly taking care of themselves and they mostly got along. I mean, it was no worse than usual, maybe even a little better than than usual. 
but just having to be the decision maker for everything, mm-hmm. you know? And then the other thing was, was meals, like having to st- stop working. Like I, I cook a lot, but I cook on the nights when I'm not like super busy right up till five, five thirty, you know, or I'll come in and I'll help, you know, it will work, we'll work together. But you know, it's it at four thirty. I'm still deep in you know elbow deep in podcast stuff, and I'm like I can't go cook dinner, and so we ate out more than than I ever would otherwise. So that was tough. That was a little hard, but uh, managed to get the dishwasher fixed. The had the guy come in and fix the dishwasher, and it turned out it was a clogged line, and so I spent all that money on a repairman for something I probably could have fixed, but um but it's fixed and then did manage to do some laundry so like it wasn't a giant pile when you came home they were not wearing dirty clothes so that's good uh so i mean mm-hmm. we we got by in fact the house the house was in pretty good shape right um no dirty dishes in the sink no pu- giant pile of laundry that's true the living room was pretty pretty well picked up comparatively C- comparatively so on wednesday I I was um, working and someone was, I saw someone in passing say something along the lines of how spare the tree lots are, the Christmas tree lots. And normally we would have gotten our tree last Sunday, usually like the third or fourth, but somewhere in between the third and fourth week of Advent, we usually get our tree, right? right. Usually a week and a half out from Christmas is a pretty average for us. So Wednesday was that week and a half. And I'm like, and I'm seeing this, these reports about trees are extra expensive. The tree lots are running out if you wait too long. And then you're telling me you might not be back till Monday. And I'm like, I just, we can't wait any longer. We have to go get the tree. If we don't get a tree now, we might not have a tree. I don't want a Charlie Brown tree that I've hacked off something in the forest, the top of I'll do, you pull, do a uh, uh, Christmas vacation, Clark Griswold. So I packed up the kids, took the van over to Home Depot, where we usually go to get our trees, which Home Depot has a pretty a surprisingly decent selection. Usually they're pretty good for that. I also wanted to get some more lights and things like that. And so uh, we got there. And there were maybe 30 trees left, which usually when we go, there's dozens of trees of all sizes, you know, small trees, tall trees, middle in size trees. They had. Seven to eight feet, you can get them for 60 bu- 70 bucks or 90 bucks. <laughs> 10 bucks a foot or 10.50 a foot or whatever that comes out to. I said, I think I'll go for the $70 trees and just grab one. And that was it. And so we brought it home, set it up. We put lights on it, but we didn't decorate till today. Right. We did not decorate till today. The girls would not would not have forgiven you if you decorated the tree without them. I told the others. Well, the others didn't want to decorate until you guys were here anyway. So that would have been weird and sad. Yeah. So we we did our usual decoration today where uh, I set up the the camera and we do a time lapse of it. And I posted on my Facebook page of the uh, the time lapse video of that. Um, And that that goes pretty normally. I mean, it's not. It's a lot less dramatic now yeah. that they're older. They're all, they're all like, I thought there was more ornaments, and and they said, yeah, I thought that last year too. <coughs> I, it took longer when they were littler, and I had to hand each ornament to every each fragile child and, ornament <laughs> and make sure that each child was carefully putting them on the well, tree. Also, when they were little, they could only reach the bottom half of the tree, so the re- the, the the top half of the tree, we had to do that. You know, and so, yes, it took longer because you're handing them ornaments and then taking an ornament yourself and that whole thing. Now they can do the whole thing. Yeah. So it's a lot easier. But they all are involved. They all want to do it. They all want to hang ornaments. So it's not like there's the sullen teenager in the corner on their phone, you know, that sort of thing. So that's good. So let's talk about food. Okay. So. One of the meals I made this week, I did a sous vide steak. I had some steaks in the freezer from this past summer uh, that I never got around to grilling. And I, I thought I'd make some steaks for for dinner. And I decided to sous vide. And sous vide, in case you don't remember, you don't know, is that it's it's a sort of a water bath method. You put them in a 
vacuum sealed bag, the the food, and then you have a special device like a sous vide water circulator. It goes on the edge of a bucket filled with water, and it heats the water up to a particular temperature and holds it there. And the idea is that you can bring uh, food up to a temperature and hold it at that point. So for steak, like one, if you want medium rare, hold it at 121 forever, or 123, I think I did, forever. The longer it goes, the more tender it gets, so you don't want to do it too long, otherwise it turns into mush. But then when you need, when you want to finish it off, you take it out of the sous vide. Um, and I did, had it in there for like four and a half hours because it was frozen when it went in. Uh, so I think it may be even closer to five hours. And then you you sear it off. And I sear it off in a uh, cast iron skillet with butter and a, some garlic and some thyme. And, you know, I did the butter base thing where I spooned the butter on it. It was all right. Not as good as grilled, certainly. Grilling will always, you know, the direct fire will always be better for me. But it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I did open up the back door before I started the <laughs> the searing on the skillet. Um, and the smoke detectors did, you know, go off at first, but not too long. We, You know, I silenced it and then it was fine from that. And it wasn't like wicked smoky because I, I did remember to open the door first. So that worked out. That one was pretty good. Uh, another one I did was a matzo ball soup. I wanted it's Hanukkah, so I wanted to make a matzo ball soup. I used a boxed matzo ball recipe. The recipe I was looking at, you know, did matzo balls from scratch, but I'm like, eh, it's just me and the kids. Let's do <laughs> the matzo ball recipe, you know, from the box, and and then the rest of it was from scratch. The rest of the soup, it was all right. It it lacked something, and I think it lacked an acidity. So, like, it needed, like, lemon juice or wine or something along those lines. And maybe it would have been nice to have some, like, egg noodles or something in it, like some like like a chicken noodle soup. Um, it would have been better like that. But otherwise, it was it was okay. So we had matzo ball soup. We had some leftovers. The kids, um, they didn't really like it. They they. They thought the matzo ball was interesting at first, but they didn't they didn't really eat much of it. They ended up eating peanut butter jelly. And then tonight we made uh, yakisoba, which is a Japanese pork noodle dish. And I would say that the pork and vegetables and noodle part was a was a hit. But the sauce that I made with it was not. Yeah, they didn't really like the sauce. So yeah, so the sauce is a I think it's supposed to be authentic. And where's the recipe? I'm trying to find it here. Here it is. Um, so it's from a, a website called japan.recipetineats.com. Uh, and so it's, and it's, I think it's from an Australian website because a lot of the ingredients are in grams and that sort of thing. But also they refer to things like ketchup as tomato sauce. In, in Australia, they, they call uh, ketchup tomato sauce but it uses like the bulldog the japanese bulldog sauces that's a bulldog is a brand name and that these barbecue quote-unquote sauces uh that are adapted to japanese tastes from american barbecue sauces from gi's at post-world war ii and so anthony complained that it was too fruity he thought it, he thought it was tasted fruity um, the bulldog sauce is pretty fruity. Yeah, I think it is. It's it it has some fruitiness to it. So maybe with a different sauce, we could try it again. I like the yakisoba noodles. So that our supermarket carries like a yakisoba noodles in the produce section near the tofu. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. I guess they need to be refrigerated, so that must be it. So that's so I use those. So it it was pretty good. I just. You know, I guess they um, would prefer a different sauce on it. So they, in general, don't really like sweet and savory together. I've yeah, noticed. their their palates are just like they want more tart with their savory, not yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. So you mentioned that you you went to County Line Barbecue. We did. And you also went to another place uh, in Austin, Styles Switch Barbecue? Yeah, we, 
um, I think that was like this past Wednesday night or Thursday night. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, we picked up from Style Switch. Uh, oh, it was Wednesday night because my mom always goes on Wednesday nights. They, My parents are, well, they're creatures of habit. And every <laughs> Wednesday night they pick up some takeout and eat that instead of cooking. It used to be Thursday nights when my mom had her bowling league and my dad would go out to dinner by himself to the local uh, Mexican Mexican place around the corner. Which is no longer there. Well, it's there. It's just under new ownership and they refuse to go to it now. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the new owners came in and they they fired all the previous staff and Uh. they changed the menu and my parents just won't go there anymore. Um, but so then, then when my mom stopped bowling, they kept going out. She just joined my dad for going out for dinner. Um, but then my dad eventually decided that he wanted to switch to Wednesday night because, uh, that way he could eat the leftovers on Thursday, whereas he doesn't eat meat on Fridays. So eating, he wouldn't be eating the leftovers on Friday. Right. Um, Anyway, like I said, creatures of habit. The we went. I went with my mom to the Stub Switch barbecue place. The Style Switch. Style Switch. I cannot remember the name of this place. <laughs> I've never been there before. It was really good though. Uh, I went with my mom. The guy behind the counter totally knew who she was and recognized her. And he even gave us a sample of the prime rib because he says it's our Wednesday special. And I notice you're always here on Wednesdays. <laughs> That's that's when you you know that they know you. Right. Uh, it was good. Did you get just get brisket and stuff? Uh I got brisket. We got just individual plates. I got brisket. Um somebody got ribs and brisket. Somebody else got chicken. I think my mom and Bella switched split a chicken plate between them. Mm. Uh they Yeah, it was yummy. They have oak smoked wings. That's interesting. Oh. First we smoke them, then we flash fry to finish, sauced and tossed to in, to order in our house-made sauces. The the prime rib that they gave us as a sample was so tender. It was just like melt-in-your-mouth tender. Mm. It was good. I was like, I, I would eat that prime rib. I would definitely come back for that. Like, you have to go to confession for envy, jealousy, because it's, man, I love barbecue. So we... Because you were going to barbecue, I'm like, okay, we're going to barbecue here. And so we went to our local barbecue place that we've always gone to for years. Even when we were lived up on the North Shore of Boston, there was the Tennessee's barbecue up there. And we went and it was decidedly mediocre. The meat was kind of dry and gray and didn't have much of a smoke ring. Um, the kids got beef ribs because they saw Sophie's County Line beef rib. Uh-huh. And it was all right. It was kind of cartilaginous, you know, it was kind of chewy a bit. I was I, I disappointed, especially with how much you pay for it. <laughs> it was disappointing. Um, and even just like the the restaurant itself, like the, the big containers of barbecue sauce were em- mostly empty. You could hardly get any sauce. It's really disappointing. We have to find a new barbecue place. There is a new one that's not far from us that I would love to try some of their stuff sometime. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's always sad when a when a restaurant that you've always gone to kind of goes downhill a bit. You know, it's not as not as good as you remember. And sometimes you just keep going out of nostalgia to hope that maybe someday it will get back to it again. Right. So uh, I have to say County Line did not disappoint. It was as good as I remembered it. Uh, <sighs> and that was that was. Slightly surprising. I was a little bit braced for it to be not as good as I remembered it in my head. Um, I have to say that the the Tex-Mex that my parents brought in was it was OK, but the enchiladas were not the best enchiladas I've ever had. I kind of mm. wish that we'd had a chance to go out to Chewy's because I know that I really love their enchiladas. Oh, yeah. So the last time we were all in Austin was five years ago. And I remember that was for your parents' 50th. And that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, Chewy's was good. Arondas was still Arondas. That was always good. Uh, And Ruby's Barbecue was still open. Yeah, they don't exist anymore. But they're closed now. But um, yeah, yeah. I I go places. I go, I go to visit the restaurants. (laughs) That's my thing. Mm -hmm. I like to try the foods, the local foods. 
Um, yeah. All right. So that's what we've been eating. And oh, one thing to look forward to is the supermarket. Our supermarket had rib roasts, Angus, Angus rib roast, by the way. It's not just, you know, choice or select rib roasts. This is Angus rib roasts for on sale for five ninety nine a pound. I, I got one. I saved a hundred dollars for it. So we're having that in Christmas. I'm really looking forward to that. The other thing I brought back in addition to oh, yeah. the sausage was tamales, which my mom had bought from the Knights of Columbus at their parish. And which are the best ones? If you know anything, like yeah. the Knights of Columbus. Knights of Columbus tamales in Texas are the best. I mean, I mean, well, the best of the best is if you can find somebody's Mexican abuela who makes them. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know anybody who's, who's short of befriending some somebody just because they have a Mexican abuela. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> yep. So. All right. So that's that's what we've been eating. So let's talk about reading and watching and that sort of thing. And I'll just kind of follow up. Uh, last time when I was talking to Lucy, we had watched uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. For, for the kids had watched Rudolph for the first time and the Charlie Brown Christmas. And we continued our watch through the Christmas specials of my childhood. We watched uh, Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus has come into town and the Grinch who stole Christmas. Did you did you discuss with Lucy like that? I do not really love any of these shows, and that's why they've never seen them. Uh, that might have come up. <laughs> uh, they they were curious; they wanted to see them. So, um, so, and I think they enjoyed them. Um, I heard, I forget who, somebody, another podcast couple, Catholic podcast couple. I, uh, I'm trying to remember who who I heard it from was talking about Santa Claus coming to town and being just weird and bizarre and I, not liking it. I'm like, how can you not love it? I don't love it. There are there are some very 60s moments in it. Like there's that one where the 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 girl Jessica the who ends up being spoiler alert she ends up being Mrs. Claus. She sings this very 60s psychedelic that's psychedelic song. The song itself isn't psychedelic, but the animation kind of gets kind of funky, very 60s 2D animation. Um it's kind of weird. So there's a couple of couple moments like that. But in general, I mean, the Burger Meister Meister Burger is the funniest, you know, and put one foot in front of the other yeah. and Hopper the Penguin. So, oh, yeah, it was good. Uh, we also watched The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which was not as good as I remember. It was really hard to get a hold of that, by the way. It's hard to find online these days to watch. But. I don't know. This there's the song that you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I mean that part is good, but the rest of it was kind of I don't know weird. They love everyone loves the dog though the Grinch's dog. Yeah, he gets Shanghai. Um, so that that's always good. Uh, and so and then of course we saw also saw Frosty busy 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 the magician. Yeah. And this, you know, the little girl who hops on the train with the frost with the the snowman and to go to the North Pole. Ah, the parents. It, it these things hit differently when you're an old older. So there's there's one we didn't watch, which is the year without a Santa Claus. So we still need to watch that. The rest of us, you can go do whatever you want, but the rest of us are going to uh -huh. watch the year without a Santa Claus. That's get heat miser and snow miser. Oh, it's the best. But boom, 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 da dum, da dum, dum, dum. I. I... I did not like any of those movies when I was a child. This is my surprise face. Yeah. <laughs> you were born old. <laughs> and then there's the one that you hardly ever saw, which was the. Um, was it Rudolph and the Baby New Year? Oh, I really disliked that one. I love that one. The, all the little islands were all like different eras in history. You know, the, 70, the year 1776, and there was like Ben Franklin was there, you know. Oh, I love that one. Uh, although Rock, the uh, the big scary bird, was kind of, you know, it kind of scared me as a kid. Anyway, that's <laughs> enough of that. What did you watch while you were in Texas? You watched something with your parents. Um, yeah, we were, um, actually, with my mom, we watched we watched a few episodes of Indoor because she'd never... Andor, not indoor, Andor, because she'd never seen it. Um, and uh, then she wanted to watch something else. And Bella was up for a movie and 
uh, I ended up convincing that we were, we were flipping through channels and I saw uh, a movie that I recognized as having wanted to see popped up on the, you know, the, the menu. Sure. Thank you. Menu. Uh, so we watched, we ended up watching The Banshees of Inna Sharon, which is a movie starring Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. It's an Irish movie starring Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell? Wow, what are the odds? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, uh, so the writer-director is Martin McDonough, who I studied when I was in grad school, uh, I took a class on contemporary Irish drama and Martin McDonough, we read at least one, possibly more of his plays and had several more of them like uh, summarized and explained for us because my professor was a huge fan. Mm. Um, so I thought that would be fun to watch. And it is dark. It is really dark. It is really, really dark. <laughs> I think my dad was bothered by it. Wait, it's an Irish movie that's really, really dark? Okay. It's dark comedy. So basically the, the premise... A dark, is, an Irish dark comedy. Right. Okay. Yeah. The premise The premise is Brendan Gleeson and uh, Colin Firth are best friends. Farrell. They, Colin Farrell, not Firth. Sorry. Um, they're best friends. They live in a small island, fictional, off the coast of Ireland. And uh, Brendan Gleeson is a fiddle player and Colin Farrell is a farmer and one day brendan gleason this is how the movie starts decides he doesn't want to be friends anymore no real good reason just colin farrell's boring and he doesn't he, he doesn't want to waste his time listening to him blather on anymore <laughs> and so he just says i'm not going to talk to you anymore and colin farrell does not understand why and so attempts to persuade him to uh be friends and this is where it turns dark because Brendan Gleeson says, if you continue to bother me, I'm going to cut off a finger. Hit one of his own fingers. One of his own fingers. I'm going to mutilate myself if you continue to bother me. That's bizarre. Yeah. And <laughs> then he actually follows through with it. Oh. Um, and it, it, it ex escalates to house burning. Let's just say that. <laughs> and somebody dies. I'm not going to tell you who, but somebody dies. So. What a hoot. <laughs> um, the other thing that we watched was uh, Sophie and I had read uh, Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen this mm -hmm. um, past term. And so we had a movie day before Sophie got sick where we Sophie and Isabella and I watched Sense and Sensibility and they both loved it. It was it was the one with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet and Hugh Grant mm. and... Which one is oh, and uh, what's his name who plays Snape? Uh, Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. Alan Rickman. He's so great. Oh, I love him as Colonel Brandon. Um, so that that was a lot more lighthearted and <laughs> did not have anybody cutting off their fingers. <laughs> what wasn't Alan Rickman good in? That's the thing. I mean, Alan Rickman was good in everything. Kate Winslet. Uh, no. Oh, Tom Wilkinson was in it. That's good. Uh, Hugh Grant. Uh, I was trying to think. Of, so Hugh Grant was Edward Ferrars. Okay, never mind. I don't. I don't really know. Um, sense and sensibility really that much anyway. So yeah. So it's good. a great movie. It's all. It's it's a classic, and yeah. I was I was glad that we got the chance to watch it. Um, I I promised Sophie that when we finished the novel, we'd watch the film, and we just hadn't got a chance to do it. So this was perfect. So um. What have you been reading? Okay, well, as you might a lot, apparently, as you might expect, I've I've been reading actually quite a bit. Um, so I read the sequel to My Name Is Asher Love, which I'd read previously. We talked about that about a month ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the sequel is called The Gift of Asher Love, and it picks up a good deal of time later. Uh, Asher's married and has two kids, and is a very successful artist but still struggling with his questions of identity. Um, I felt like it was, you know, some sequels feel like the author is kind of groping to find something to say about the same characters. This felt like such a natural progression that 
I honestly felt it should have been like just the second half of the of the novel. Hmm. I know he wrote it considerably later, so it it wasn't published even near anywhere near the same time. But it really felt like this, like just the second half of the book. That's the cool. Themes were the themes were really good, and I just love the way it developed the story. It was perfect. Hmm. Um, one of the best sequels I've read in a long time. Uh, so I highly recommend that if you've read My Name is Asher Love and wonder, is the sequel worth it? Because oftentimes they aren't. This one totally was. Um, it's like the second part of the book. Right. That's good. Then let's see. I, uh, on the plane, I found that I didn't have any music and I really wanted to listen to something. So I ended up fishing through my audiobook file and I only had a few downloaded to my phone. That Wi-Fi was not totally not working on the plane either. So I ended up listening to Rosemary Sutcliffe's The Shining Company, which is a novel that's set sometime after the Romans have left Britain. And it involves a bunch of Celtic tribes fighting off the Saxon invaders um, and sort of making a heroic last stand. Mm-hmm. Against the Saxons, because of course we, I mean, it's, it's, it's no, no shock. They, they, they don't succeed because sure. the Saxons ultimately conquer England, which is why we speak English and not Gaelic. Right. Um, but it's good. It's a really great story and um, I'm didn't quite finish it, but I'm almost, almost done. Then I also started reading a book that's sort of a fictional memoir. Actually, I'm not even sure how much of it's fictional. It's kind of a a memoir called A Ghost in the Throat by, oh, shoot. Now I'm going to forget her name. Um, ghost in the Doreen Throat. Doreen Nee. Oh, I can't even pronounce that. It's Irish. Uh, shoot. I just here. Doreen Nee. I can't read that because you're blind. I'm blind. Doreen Nee. Griofa. Griefa. Griefa. Uh, so I'll put in the show notes. <laughs> it's it's very much about her experience of being a young mother uh, with babies and toddlers and nursing and doing household chores. And a lot of it felt very, very familiar. I mean, she's in Ireland. I'm here. But other than that, like the life is very similar. And her obsession that sort of drives her through these very difficult years of being a new mom is with a particular classic Irish poem called The Lament of Art O'Leary, which is a poem that was written in Irish, and it's a keen, which is a traditional Irish form of lament. Um, And it was, there was a, it was written in about 1773, this woman named Eileen Duve O'Connell or Dark Eileen uh, had married a handsome young soldier named Art O'Leary and he was killed by an Englishman because he wouldn't sell the Englishman his horse. Okay. And so the poem is a lament. Uh, She remembers, she begins with her remembering the first time she saw him and how she fell in love with him and she ran off with him despite the protests of her family. And then she goes and curses the name of the man who killed him and remembers all the wonderful things that they had. It's it's a beautiful poem. And so the the ghost in the throat, she's kind of obsessed about the, with the poem and she begins by finding every translation of it she can. And then she decides that none of them are good enough. And she wants, so she writes her own translation and that's not good enough. And so she, then she becomes obsessed with trying to uncover as much of the author's life as she can, despite the fact that there is almost nothing written about her. Hmm. And I'm only about a third of the way through, but it's really good. And I think it's partly because I, it's, she's so similar to myself. Like, a mom who is obsessed with literature and has this sort of deep life of the mind while she's in the trenches of motherhood. Is the poem real? Yeah, it's a real poem. Okay. Um, And this is really her, this is 
a memoir. So it's it's more or less true, although she's clearly taking some liberties with her story in some places. Uh, I mean, the character in the novel is the different name than the author. It's so actually it's just a well, it's just an I first person narrative. Right. Oh, there's no character there, name. There is okay. no there's no character. It's just it's just first person narrator and you're in her head and you don't really know where or how or if it differs from the author's life. Okay. Um, the author is herself a published poet in both Irish and English. Uh, so I don't know really where the story is going or where it's going to get there. I know she's so far spent some time in the intensive care unit after her, um, her daughter was actually in the intensive care unit after she was born. And that was really heartbreaking and gripping like is her daughter going to survive is she going to die is this going to be like a horrible heartbreaking story mm. um and right now she's like trying to like find the how the place where the house was where eileen uh Duve lived and yeah it's very irish again dark and depressing and <laughs> <laughs> it's a theme yes uh but you know i um, I studied Irish studies, so it is my theme. Irish people are happy, pleasant, fun people often. Of but course. The, but their literature, including their visual literature, is like Russians. It's depressing well, at times. It can be, except I find that the Russians, well, the Russians can be cheerful a little bit. Yeah. But I find Irish literature is often not as dark as Russian literature. Russian literature is almost fatalistic in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, Irish literature can be very happy and and pleasant and cheerful. And then it can yeah. take a turn for the dark. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Irish movies can be, can be cheerful, but there's, there's almost always this dark moment in them. Like, yeah, even in the comedies. Yeah. Anyway. And then I've also been reading Malcolm Geat's Waiting for the Word, which is just a collection, a little anthology of Advent poems. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really good. Which, by the way, I, I sent you a link that uh, King Charles had requested that a Malcolm Geat poem be read at the King's Carol service in, for Advent. Yes. Um, and according, apparently Malcolm Geat was quoted as saying you could have knocked him over with a feather when he found out. <laughs> uh, He's really lovely, and um, he's a hobbit. He's basically a hobbit. Yes. Um, anyway, waiting for the word it has some of his Malcolm Geats poems, but it's also an anthology that includes other people's poems too. And it's just like one a day for it's like an advent calendar, but poetry. Cool. Um, I have not been reading it regularly every day, but I've dipped into it a few times. So I'm reading a new book. That it called Travels with George in Search of Washington and His Legacy by Nathaniel Philbrick. Nathaniel Philbrick is a is a prolific history author. Um, he's written things like uh, In the Heart of Darkness, which is about the uh, the the South Pole expedition. He's written about several books about George Washington I've read. So this one is a slightly different book. It's not a straight history book. It it starts with this the fact that when George Washington became president. He embarked on a series of journeys. First was his journey from Mount Vernon to New York, which was the capital at the time. And then he went on a tour of New England and he went a tour out into Long Island and went down to the south. So he, he did. He toured the the whole country, um, which was partially uh, an effort to solidify the bonds of the Republic because it was still right. a fairly loose conglomeration of quarreling states at that point and he we were they were he was trying to forge a, a new national unity among them and so so he's telling this story philbrick is well at the same time telling the story of his own journeys in in washington's footsteps so he and his wife follow along and so you also hear about his, their adventures as they drive or take a boat in some cases, uh, these places with him and, you know, what it was like then, what it's like now, some of the the 
some of the histor- you know, historical things they, they encounter, the people or the stories, but also just even some of the obstacles, the travel obstacles they encounter as well. So it, it's kind of interesting. It's a little offbeat. It feels more memoir-ish than, than straight history. One of the things he's doing is is trying to answer the question, does George Washington still matter in America in the 21st century? Um, and he brings up slavery a lot, a lot. And, and almost too much. I don't know. I mean, can you say it's too much? I mean, it was a terrible, horrible thing. If if anything, it highlights the complexity of the slavery question. It's not as simple. He was a slave owner, and therefore, he he needs to be eliminated. I mean, the the fact is is how people dealt with and processed slavery in their time is a lot like how people deal with a lot of the cultural issues of our time. And sometimes people have complex. You know, well, we need to outlaw abortion. Oh, well, we can't just ban it because, you know, we need to change hearts and minds. And, you know, so there's all these different nuances. And slavery was a similarly complex and nuanced issue. You know, one of the points that Washington made in his discussions with people was if we just declare Slavery, because he was opposed to slavery, even though he continued to own slaves, which was you know kind of contradictory. But he said, if we just declare slavery illegal in the country, we're going to split. We'll, they will fall apart. And one of the interesting things that he makes a point about is it was not at the time people didn't feel like there was a guarantee this was going to last the American experiment. There was still some thought, even like by people like Washington and others, that in a generation, this could all fall apart and Britain could be back. We could be back part of the British Empire. Uh, you know, the whole war fought for not nothing, you know, that we would be taken back. You know, the people who uh, were spies, for instance, like the Culper gang, mm-hmm. they didn't reveal the names of the members of the Culper gang. He visited them, uh, but in a quietly like without revealing who they were uh, afterward to th- you know as a thank you tour but didn't reveal them publicly because they were afraid that if the british were ever back they would be endangered kind of fascinating so it's uh i'm i'm about halfway through the book and it's pretty good it's not the best book i've read by philbrick yet but um i i kind of prefer a more a straight historical account but some of the some some of the, the New England places was kind of fun. Like there's a place in Bill Ricca where there's a I forget what the, which hotel it was. There's a hotel and there's, this, there's like two parking lots, and in between the parking lots is uh, a cellar hole with a marker, and the marker says this is the the location of the tavern where John Adams and John Hancock out the night uh, after the uh, Lexington Green, you know, the, the battle, you know, the shot heard around the world on Lexington Green uh, is this location. It's like in the in between two parking lots in Bill Ricca behind a, you know, not a Holiday Inn, but, you know, like a Best Western or something. Uh-huh. It's just kind of like the idea that history is everywhere around us. It's kind of fascinating in thinking about the historical places and this book kind of gives the, the sense of the origin of the stories of the, you know, Washington slept here and Washington street. And a lot of these things is because of this tour or several, really several tours that Washington took through the entire country at the time. So it's a pretty good book. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'll see where it goes. I tend to like memoirs like that. That sounds like my sort of thing. Oh Yeah. Yeah, you might like to might like this one, especially because of the the more personal aspects of it too. The you know, Philbrick has been at this for a while, writing history books, and so you know, this is a slightly different version. And I can see where an author would want to kind of do something a little different from the usual that he's been doing. Just kind of mix it up a bit. So, yeah. So that's what we've been reading and watching. So let's talk about the fourth Sunday of Advent. This year, we get to have a whole week of the fourth week of Advent. 
uh, which is, you know, as obviously rare to, to get the whole seven days. I love it when we get a whole week of I, I, part of me just wishes that when Advent would start for like four full weeks out from Christmas. Yes, four full weeks out from Christmas. And so you get four full weeks plus whatever little bit as opposed to the four Sundays, but sometimes the Sunday might, sometimes Christmas might be Monday. And so you get like, right. The fourth Sunday of Advent is Christmas Eve. If the 25th is a Sunday, then the first Sunday of Advent should be a week earlier. Yes. So that the fourth Sunday of Advent. So what would that Sunday be then? The fifth Sunday of Advent? Yes. (laughs) Why not? Well, then why don't we have a whole fifth extra fifth week? I would be fine with that. Yeah. You see where this is going. We'd have 26 you know, or 52 weeks of Advent. Anyway. Um, so it is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And uh, Father Leo was the, the uh, celebrant of our mass. Father Leo is not a, uh, he's not a parish priest. He's not he's a, a Holy cross diocesan priest. He's a Holy cross priest from Stoneham college who helps out. And the, the gospel was from Matthew. It was the, uh, um, in the the not infancy narrative well sort of it's it's Matthew's version of the infancy narrative right Joseph Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly and right. the angel comes and says don't do that he gets the dream yeah and it's, so Father Leo said you know compared to Luke Matthew's infancy narrative is very spare it's like it doesn't have all the extras the shepherds and going to Bethlehem and all the other stuff it's just Mary and Joseph. And the angel. And that's it. We focus on two people as as part of God's plan to save us. Right? It's just two people. And in a like way, likewise, God invites us to participate in his plan of salvation. So what we're seeing in Joseph and Mary is the template of how God approaches us. And God's invitation to them brought some real world challenges. You know, Mary had to become a, a single, you know, in a sense, an unmarried. I know betrothal was a different thing back then, but in the eyes of everyone, um, being pregnant before the final marriage in, it was seen as adulterous and could have resulted in her being stoned. And Joseph, as you know, as Father Leo said, probably didn't want to divorce Mary, but you know, that seemed like the only solution. And so they are presented with real world challenges. And like we're, when God calls us, it's not smooth sailing. There's real challenges that we have to go through in life. It's not just because you, you follow God's call and you think you've, you've discerned God's call and challenges come up. Doesn't mean that you discerned badly or wrongly. Okay, or like the meme that says God has a uh, important uh, plan for your life with the picture of the Christians being eaten by lions. Right. <laughs> That's one of my favorite memes ever. Right. I mean, it, it, which is a takeoff on the uh, some evangelical preachers. God has a wonderful plan for your life, you know, which implies that if you... If, you know, if only you should accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's smooth sailing from here on out. That's not true. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Anyone who tells you that is selling something. The other thing he mentions is, so Mary sees an angel, but Joseph dreams an angel. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, that's more challenging. For, like, if you see an angel, it's like, well, you know... <laughs> Uh, unless I believe I've gone insane, I'm actually seeing something. I have evidence of my eyes. It's hard to deny this. But if you have a dream, you can, it's possible to dismiss a dream, you know, as, wow, that was a pretty vivid, lucid dream. Wow, that was wild. Uh, I, I suppose I could take it as a message, but it was probably just a dream. You know, you could do that. But he didn't. So I, I think that's it's of course, fascinating. Of course, the Bible is full of people, including the first Joseph, who dreamed. Dreamed. Yes. No. No. That's true. That's true. The in Jacob's ladder, the dream of the la- the angels right. going up and down the, the the ladder. No. No. That's true. Dreams are a portent, but just in in general, you know, 
they, they both have an encounter with an angel, and the angel has the message, do not be afraid. And that's, you know, God's call to us. Don't be afraid. You know, we should look to Joseph and his response. He trusted in God. He had faith in God's plan for him. We should have faith in God's plan for us. He And he accepted his life would never be what he expected it to be and yet was never afraid. And so Father, you know, finished it by telling us, God tells us today, be not afraid. I am with you always. And be not afraid is, was, you know, John Paul's, the Pope John Paul's first message upon being elected. Uh, be not afraid. So um, I think that's a good homily for the fourth Sunday of Advent as we head into Christmas. Um, it's a nice way to, a nice way to meditate on this last week because, you know, as usual, Christmas, getting ready for Christmas is, uh, can be crazy, uh-huh. especially when you've spent the third week of Advent in a sort of limbo in, in I, Texas. I do not feel like I had a third week of Advent. Um, it was weird. <laughs> it, it did not feel Adventy. It didn't feel that way five years ago when we were in, I mean, we were in Texas the same week five years ago. I just did. I don't feel, I don't remember feeling that way, but maybe it did. I don't know. See, I wish I kept a journal back then. I've started the past year. I've kept a journal. I think, but I, I wish I'd kept a journal back then. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just about like me and my letting myself be distracted by the challenges of traveling. There's probably also the uncertainty involved in all of it. Since you didn't have a clear knowledge of when you were going to come home, there was no like after the the Tuesday passed the original departure date, you were kind of up in the air, and so it's kind of an uncertain an. Certain return, uncertainty about that. So it kind of leaves you hanging. So I can see that. Yeah. Whereas also, five years ago, we knew when exactly we were coming home. Also, there's something about taking care of a sick child that kind of puts you into a weird limbo state anyway. Yeah. I always feel like that. Like when I'm sick or when one of the kids is sick, time doesn't seem to pass in the right way. Hmm. Maybe it's just a mom thing. I don't know. No, I see. Yeah, I mean, when you, you you get in the trenches, I mean, that's sort of what dads say. Uh, you end up in the trenches of childcare and the, the, trying to get them well and all that, and so you other things kind of fall away. So I can see that. Well, as we prepare for Christmas, I mean, we we don't have a lot that we need to do. I mean, it's just we're gonna, you know clean house and get things neatened up and do a little baking, I think. Uh-huh. A, we're going to make Christmas cookies and some stuff like that. But uh, And uh, finish cleaning up the house because, um, well, it didn't look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it. I like to spend, you know, the week before Christmas making sure it's clean. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I, I, I thought, I thought things... We're pretty good, but maybe being away and coming home and seeing with fresh eyes, you see uh-huh. how it is. Yeah, well, I I, w- I usually try to make them vacuum the floors as soon as they get to a certain point, and I, I did. I made them vacuum. <laughs> now I couldn't like oversee the whole thing because I'm in I'm here working. But mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on the state of the house. Hey, if you if you want to get the house clean, I am I'm all for that. So that's that. I'm not going to disagree with that. All right, let's wrap things up there before it devolves any further. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create raising the bets, including Joshua S, Jeff S, Catherine O, Father Brian Z, and Peter M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. 
Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Now, before we go, I just want to make one note is the next time we would normally record would be Sunday, which would be Christmas. We're not going to record an episode of Christmas. So we'll be taking a week off. So you'll get to hear all about our Christmas happenings um, in our next episode a week later. So that means I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year uh, because it will be New Year's Eve when we record next. So you won't even hear this until 2023 or hear that until 2023. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. And until next time, I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Hi, everyone. This is Don Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to keep producing the shows you love and to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent and may you have a blessed Christmas season.